But for today, we're in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. So we're in the middle of a short series, it's only three weeks, in which we're considering uh, what the Bible says about the church. We've called this the body, because that's an analogy the Scripture often makes, that the church is like the body. Last week, we explored Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, we're instructed that the church exists because God is worthy of worship, and He's calling His people to worship Him and invite other people to join in and do the same. Today, we're going to consider not why the church exists, but who the church is. So who is the church? That's the question we'll be trying to answer this morning. 1 Corinthians 12 teaches that the church is the body of Christ. And the focus of this passage is a word we don't hardly ever use. It's the word interdependent. Interdependent. You could summarize 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26 like this. Christ's church is a miraculous interdependent body of church members. This morning we want to think together as we sweat about interdependency, how we are interdependent. Would you think with me first this morning about the miracle of the church, the miracle of the church, verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body, here he's talking about the human body, just as the the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Friends, the local church is a miracle. It's a miracle. Let me take a couple of minutes to try to explain that. You'll notice that the start of verse 12 is a three-letter word, for. So when you see that word any time in your Bible, you know oftentimes when that word is used, it's telling you, because of something I've just said, this is going to be true. I'm going to explain what I've just said. So we're starting here in the middle of a discussion. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church in a town called Corinth. The ruins are still there today. I've walked through them and uh, read some of this passage with Jill when we were touring there. Uh, There is a lot to see that's still in existence. But this church in Corinth had a lot of things going for it, but it also had a lot of problems, a lot of problems. If you go back later today, and start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and read up through where we are in chapter 12. It wouldn't take you very long, maybe 15, 20 minutes. But what you'd find is this was a church full of trouble. One of the troubles they had is that they were full of factions. Some of the people were saying, well, I like this leader. And others were saying, no, I like this leader. And still others were saying, no, I like this leader. And so they were dividing up who they were going to follow. And consequently, the unity that's so important in the body of Christ had been lost in in its entirety in this particular church. Another problem they had was that there were some people in the church, so people calling themselves Christians, engaged in the life of the church, who were doing things sexually that even 
the pagan world outside of the church would say, that's a no-no. You ought not do that. And yet the church was not only tolerating it, it was, in a sense, even celebrating it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn that if a church member claims with their mouth, I love Christ, but then lives in chronic, serious, outward unrepentance, then the church should eventually remove him or her from the church in order to awaken them to repentance. And this church was failing to do that. One of the most basic things the church must do. Yet another problem the church had was that some members were saying to other members, I am more important than you. And it's to that particular problem that we've jumped in an argument already up and going. You see, apparently some people were saying things like, well, I'm really good at the upfront public roles. And you're not good at that. You're only good at the like cleanup crew. So I'm more important than you. Keep your mouth shut, do your thing, and I'll take all the attention. People were vying for public gifts, recognition, and status. And in so doing, they were ripping the church apart. And so what Paul's directly said in the previous paragraph is, Christians have a variety of gifts sovereignly given by God for mutual benefit. For mutual benefit. The local church is a miracle. It's a miracle. Think with me about your body for a moment. Did you know that you have 100 billion neurons in your brain alone? Go like this. Can you feel them in there? Now, no nudging the person next to you and saying, you only got 95. I got 100. Uh, 100 billion neurons. These neurons send messages, mine are broken, throughout the body telling you to speak, to move, to breathe, to feel, to react. Anything you do is dependent upon those neurons doing their job. It's a miracle. But think about the heart. Proper functioning of your brain and your body is dependent on your heart pumping blood throughout every part of your body. Without oxygenated blood, any part of your body failing to get that blood will begin to die. And yet, the heart has to do that on its own. It generates its own electricity to pump blood throughout your body. It really is a miracle. It's amazing. The church, similarly, is the body of Christ and is no less amazing. You see, the church is composed of a variety of different members. God gifted some of us to excel in wisdom. He gifted some of us to be great teachers. He gifted some of us to be amazing at doing all the things behind the scenes that nobody sees. And yet, in the context of all this diversity, we are one body. There's a diversity of gifts and perspectives, experiences, personalities that function reciprocally. 
in order to bring about the healthy functioning of the body of Christ. So that's one sense in which the church is miraculous. But there's another sense. And it's actually the thing Paul's speaking to in those two verses we just read. Paul is speaking about the basis of our unity being what God has done for us spiritually. You see, church, if you're a Christian, then you have experienced something intensely personal. And yet that event, that experience that happened to you personally has profound collective or communal impacts. You who are in right relationship with Jesus have been immersed into, baptized into, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You've taken on the spiritual life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. He now resides in you. Jesus' death has been substituted as yours. And Jesus' resurrection life has been given to you. Nobody else can do that for you. And yet, the fact that this has happened to you personally means, brothers and sisters, look around. There's a bunch of other people that have happened to as well. And that has made us united, part of the same body. People being who were once dead and helpless are now alive, free, forgiven, empowered by God. That makes the church a miraculous family, a miraculous body. Although the church is made up of many, many different members, it is united. We share the miracle of new spiritual life, and so we are interdependent. Because of that, it's a miraculous thing to be a part of. Amen? In the next paragraph, we move from the miracle to another word we don't use often, to the inter or the indispensability of the church. The indispensability of the church. Read with me, with me if you would, verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, the sense, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts yet one body. His logic is so simple, it almost feels funny repeating it. I mean, you've got it. He's saying, your index finger is connected to your hand. Your hand is connected to your arm. Your arm's connected to your shoulder. You remember how the song went? He's saying that your, if your finger is severed from your body, what will happen to it? It will die. It cannot fulfill its function. It must be connected. 
Just like your hand would not be able to do its job apart from being connected to the arm, you and I cannot function in this life apart from being connected to the church. The finger belongs to the hand. The hand belongs to the arm. There's an indispensability to the relationships that we share. You see, as brothers and sisters in Christ joined together by the Spirit, we are integrally tied together, like your toes to your feet and your feet to your legs. The church is attached, connected, intertwined. Our maturing in the Lord and our effectiveness in the mission of reaching more and more people with the gospel is dependent upon not everybody being good at the same thing, but upon us being different, yet in those differences laboring together for the cause of Christ. Now I realize none of this is particularly surprising, complex, or exciting. And so I have enlisted a friend to help me today. His name is Mr. Potato Head. Now, imagine with me, if you would, if we think about this paragraph, the feet saying, because I'm not the arms, I am no longer part of the body. Well, friend, that doesn't work. We need feet. Yes, they are stinky, but we need them. You can't walk on your hands for very long, right? The feet have an essential part to play in the body. Imagine the nose saying, because I'm not the eyes, I'm not needed. Now, I don't actually know why we need to smell. I'm sure there's a reason. There's a few doctors in the room. You could explain it to me. Smelling, a lot of the times, is not particularly pleasant, right? You can't have a face without smell? You can't taste without smell. Okay, so these things on our, nose, on our faces are for tasting? Then why don't we eat with our noses? Imagine the nose saying, Because I'm not the eyes or the hands or the feet or the head, then I'm not part of the body. It doesn't work, right? Thank you. Uh, My brother, I have two younger brothers, and one of them, uh, when he was in sixth grade, climbed up on a rail and he was was sliding down it um, with these little plastic things in his shoes they used to make. I don't think you can even buy these anymore. But he was sliding down, hit a rusty spot, and fell face first in the ground. And he thought he had a bloody nose. So he went in the bathroom like this. And when he looked in the mirror, he didn't have a nose. He ripped it plumb off. So I've seen a face without a nose. And it's not good. And I guess he couldn't eat, Pat. He could eat but couldn't taste it. All right? That's a, so if you need a diet plan... You can rip off your nose. Now, we have digressed a bit here. Friends, a whole bunch of ears 
do not a body make? A whole bunch of arms do not a body make. Every part is needed for the body to do its job. The same is true in the church. I'm going to set this here for you to admire while we continue to talk. It's basic humanity 101. This is anatomy. This is simple stuff. But I wonder, how many of you have found yourself at times feeling useless? It is the useless feeling member talking in this paragraph. It's the person saying, well, I can't sing. I can't preach. I'm not a raging extrovert. So I guess there's nothing for me to do. Sometimes people feel useless because they think they don't know enough. Or they haven't been Christians long enough. Or they're don't have the right kind of personality, or their backstory is too messy, or they don't have the same amount of money as most people in the church. Friends, that undefined sense of uselessness can metastasize into the belief that you're unneeded, undesired, unwanted, dispensable, in the way. Those kind of lies spread like cancer, beginning to take over and kill the very part of the body that God has brought you along to fulfill. Friends, don't you see that this is akin to the arm saying, well, because I'm, because I'm not the eyes, I'm not a part of the body. Now, the answer to this deep difficulty and this painful experience that many of us have had of feeling like we don't fit, that we don't have a contribution? The answer is in verse 18. The answer is God arranged. That God did something. God arranged the members of the body, each of them, as He chose. What He's saying is God sovereignly places people in particular churches with particular gifts for particular purposes. So maybe some examples would help. A church member, I'm not talking to all of you. I'm talking to the ones gifted for this. Church member, there are some people who won't be mentored in the way that they need it if you don't do it. That's why God's brought you here. There are some babies who won't be held for and prayed for while mom and dad hear the sermon if you don't do it. There are some old members who can't get out of their house anymore. They're too frail. They can't drive. And they will be stuck alone all week long unless you go see them. There are some youth who will struggle in high school, surrounded by people all the time, and yet feeling like there's not a single adult in the world who cares, unless you build a relationship. Now, you don't have to do all those things. What is it that God has equipped you 
to do to contribute to the work of helping God's people grow up in Christ and reach more people. God has placed you here for some specific purpose. And that purpose will be in accordance with the gift He's given you. There are uh, some college guys who just moved into the dorms across the street who will wear the same stinking clothes all semester unless you have them over and let them do the laundry at your house and invest in them relationally. Friends, the, the body is the body because there's so many different functions, different parts, yet they're all connected to accomplish the same work. And so brothers, the text is saying, God is saying, you are not useless. God has brought you here. And sisters, you are not useless. God has brought you here. Through trial and error and lots of practice, get involved. Roll up your sleeves. Try different things until you discover experientially, oh, this, this is what God has brought me along to be contributing. Friend, there is nothing in the world like finding that niche and then serving the Lord, being the part of the body that God has designed you to be. Many parts, but one body. Each member indispensable as we work together to mature in Christ. Now to review, we've said that the church is a miracle. We've said that the church is indispensable. And finally, I'd love to show you in the next paragraph that there's a certain beauty in the way in which the body works together. Follow along with me in verse 21, would you? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now notice, that's the, this is a different member. This is a, a different kind of member talking than in the last paragraph. In the last paragraph, there was the problem of some feeling useless. In this paragraph, there's the problem of some feeling superior. So the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think as less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There is a beauty to what God has done. In the, in the previous paragraph, get Mr. Potato Head back, the foot was saying, I'm not a hand, so I'm useless. But in, in this paragraph, there's a different problem. The arm is saying, the ear is saying, because I'm an ear, I'm better than all the rest of you, I don't need you. Friends, that's not going 
to work. It's like hand telling eye, you can't really grab stuff like me. So I'm not going to have anything to do with you. It doesn't work. It's like elbow telling femur, you are so inflexible. You can't bend like me. Therefore, you're not needed around here. Friend, it's preposterous. It's ridiculous. And yet, how many times have you walked into this room only to go over to your little spot where people are just like you? It's like the nose walks in and just goes where the other noses are. So all the noses can sniff together. Friend, This looks like a church where people befriend and serve and care only for people like them because they think only people like them can be related to and matter. That's when we're functionally saying to everybody else, I don't need you. So this is the problem in this paragraph that Paul raises. Now, Paul's answer in the last paragraph was, God brought you here. That's clear enough, cut and dry. But Paul's answer to the second problem, the problem of arrogance, is a bit more unconventional, right? Now, uh, consider yourself warned, all right? We're putting a warning label on the next couple of minutes. Uh, You might feel a little uncomfortable with what he says. But my job as a preacher is to relay the message that's been given to us in the Bible. So that's what I'm about to do. Hold your emails. Uh, Look at verse 22. It uses the word weaker. And then verse 23, less honorable and unpresentable parts. You know what he's talking about? That's rhetorical. Yes, that is what he's talking about. When you were a kid and you're you're playing with Mr. Potato Head and your mom was having a conversation with you about all the parts of your body, she called these your private parts. They're called private parts because they're supposed to be kept private. But they're also called private parts because they require modesty. They get hurt easily. They're sensitive. You might say they ought not be out in the Phoenician sun. But does that make private parts any less important? No. Verse 22 uses what is in Greek a very intense phrase. It says, on the contrary. We would say, heck no! That doesn't make him any less important. The parts of the body we think as less honorable, that we keep covered up, these are actually indispensable. Why? Because it is by means of those parts that the human race continues. That is exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying nobody's making babies from kneecaps. The parts of our body that remain covered most of the time are in no way unnecessary or indispensable. In fact, 
Humanity cannot continue without them. Now, move past the what feels like rather embarrassing childish nature of his argument and see his point. Friend, it may be that God has gifted you to do the kinds of things that most of us will never know about. That your contribution in the body is largely quiet, private, and hidden. That in no way makes me superior to you. In fact, according to this paragraph, there is some sense in which God is bestowing upon you a greater honor. There is a Christ-likeness about your service that may, in fact, more clearly portray and proclaim the gospel than the people who stand on this stage week after week after week. God has composed the body in such a way that he's given greater honor to the hidden parts than the faces, ears, and noses that everybody sees. There's a beauty in the body of Christ. There's a beauty in that no one is useless. No one is superior. No one is self-sufficient. No one is unimportant. Therefore, here in the body of Christ, there is no room for flaunting or envying or belittling or being divided. All that there is is beauty. All that there is is love. As each part does its part to help the body function. I love the way verse 25 says it. It says that we're to have the same care for one another. The same care. There's a beauty in the church. A beauty that we work together to sustain the life and ministry and teachings and health of this church in order to spread spiritual life to more and more people. If one member suffers, all suffer. At the start of the summer, I, Micah, my son, uh, he is like full of boundless energy. And every day, it's, Dad, will you play basketball with me? Dad, do you want to play basketball with me? And I, had, I was already in bed reading, and Micah came in, Dad, do you want to play basketball with me? So um, I try as often as I can to say yes. So I got up, and I was already in my pajamas, and so he wanted to play basketball. And so I didn't put any shoes on, and we went to play basketball. One game, one game, son, one game to ten. And like 30 seconds into the game, I snapped my little pinky toe. It was after I dunked. <laughs> that part I'm making up. But he actually stomped on my foot such a way it bent my toe, and uh, it was so purple. And my whole body suffered. That's just one little teeny tiny part of the body. Friend, in the body of Christ, in the church, when one part of the body is hurting, is struggling, is suffering, then the whole body hurts. And do you know that when there's an injury in your body, the rest of your body kind of goes into hyperdrive, trying to produce 
healing in that part. It's amazing. That's the way the church works. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So what Paul's saying here is the nature of the church, who the church is, the church is a body, a body in which it is by design that we are different from each other because we have different parts to play. No one part is more important than another. Liver doesn't get to tell lungs, I'm not as good as you, so I'm not going to do anything. Lungs don't get to say to liver, I'm more important than you. All the parts are needed in humility to serve and live the Christian life together. Now, what do you do with this, these couple of paragraphs? Well, I want to encourage you, those of you who are part of this church, I think the main application from this text for us is that we need to learn to think in a different way about the importance of our involvement in life together. Would you imagine with me for a moment a continuum? And on one end of that continuum is the word dependence. And on the other end of that continuum is the word independence. So dependence and independence. Now if I say to you the word weaker or weakness, where would you put that on the continuum? You'd likely put it over here. Dependence. And if I say to you the word strength, where does that go? Well, likely you'd put it over here by the word independence. We tend to think that dependence equals weakness and independence equals strength. And friend, that so limits the work of the body of Christ. Because dependence is actually not weakness. Dependence is part and parcel what it means to be a human being and what it means to be a Christian. The arm is dependent upon the body. Does that make arm weak? Friend, you cannot live a fruitful, healthy Christian life while clinging to and demanding independence and self-driven autonomy. The church is by its very nature an interdependent body of believers in which we actually do need each other. We need each other to grow up in Jesus Christ, and we need each other to continue the mission of trying to reach Tempe with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The design of God is actually that in our dependence there would be strength. So if you call this your church home, I want to encourage you to start praying and thinking like that. And encouraging the other parts of the body when you see them using their gifts. Give honor to them. And if you don't yet know where you fit, 
what your particular contribution is that you make. The only way to figure that out is to begin trying things. And so experiment. Try out different opportunities that present themselves. And friend, eventually what you'll find is that God has, in fact, made you uniquely good at certain things and that they're life-giving. They don't feel like drudgery, but they're actually incredibly fun. I hope you'll give yourself to that end. And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the invitation of these paragraphs to you, as we understand them in light of the rest of the Bible, is that you are a hand, but as a hand, you've been cut off from the life that is yours in God. And so while you're physically alive, you are spiritually dead. That has happened to all of us. It's happened because of our rebellion against God. And yet God desired that his people would not remain in a state of spiritual death, cut off from the life of God. And so the great story of the Bible is that God in Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, became a, had a body enfleshed, indwelled, incarnated, in order that he could live the life we were supposed to live, die the death we deserved to die, and then rose again in victory. And thereby, ever since, he has been taking disconnected dead parts reconnecting them to the life of God in order that the spiritual life that is ours in Christ would be giving life to you. Friend, if you'll turn from sin and turn to Him, then you will no longer be dead spiritually. You'll be alive. You'll be alive because the blood pumping through your veins, spiritually speaking, will now be nothing less than the power of God, the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to hear more, we'd love to share with you. There's very likely somebody sitting next to you that has already come to know Jesus Christ and would love to tell you more. Let me pray. God, thank you for this group of people who have so labored with me again in a hot room. Thank you for their sacrifice. I pray this text would be helpful to them in understanding who you are and what you've done. We thank you for the beauty of the church. We thank you for the indispensability of the church. We thank you, Lord, for the miracle of the church. In Jesus' name.